Well, I invite you to turn with me to the book of 2 Corinthians today. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, actually. And as we do that, I'm going to put on my glasses. I'll invite you to stand in deference to God's word as we receive this passage together. May the Lord, may the Holy Spirit in, in, in give us uh, understanding and clarity as we talk about this issue today. Beginning with verse 3, hear God's word for us this morning. Paul writes, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. For just as we share abundantly in the sufferings of Christ, so also our comfort abounds through Christ. If we are distressed, it is for your comfort and salvation. If we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which produces in you patient endurance of the same sufferings we suffer. And our hope for you is firm, because we know that just as you share in our sufferings, so also you share in our comfort. We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, about the troubles we experienced in the province of Asia. We were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure, so that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt we had received the sentence of death. But this happened that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God, who raises the dead. He has delivered us from such a deadly peril, and he will deliver us again. On him we have set our hope that he will continue to deliver us as you help us by your prayers. Then many will give thanks on our behalf for the gracious favor granted us in answer to the prayers of many. May God add a blessing to his word. You can be seated. Well, as you may have noted, if you've been with us, we're in this short series of looking at sayings that people think God said, but are in fact not actually in the Bible. And on this Father's Day, I wanted to kind of deal with this classic. Sometimes, as you know all too well, persons will be going through something really difficult. I think to some degree we can all understand that. We all know what that is like, but wanting to be encouraging and perhaps helpful, someone might say, you can do this. You're going to make it. God won't give you more than you can handle. Have, have you ever heard that? Let me ask you, have you ever said that? Well, maybe, yeah, okay. Now again, that's meaning to be encouraging. It's meant to be comforting. If you trust God, you know, it's, it's gonna be okay. You can manage this. He won't give you more than you can bear. You're able to deal with it. But here's the problem. The Bible never says that. In fact, if you read the Bible and you think about it, you know that the Bible is largely the stories of people who, uh, quite frankly, have been given more than they can handle. To name one obvious truth, part of handling things is not dying. And everybody in the Bible dies. Abel, I, I wouldn't worry about your brother Cain. God never gives us more than we can handle. Well, that didn't work out so well. Or, or uh, Uriah the Hittite. Well, I wouldn't worry about King David and your wife Bathsheba. God will never give you more than you can... Oops, that didn't work out so well either. Or, or I think about John the Baptist. John the Baptist, you're in prison, I know. Don't worry about, uh, don't worry about Herod's machete. 
machete. It, it, it won't cause a problem. It didn't work out that way. God, God never gives us more. Well, wait a second here. Maybe, it, maybe that's not true. Because here's the thing. Starting with Jesus and down the line, the Bible is mostly about people whose faith in God not only does not prevent suffering, but in fact, they suffer because of their faith. They never, ever console one another by saying, well, you know, God won't give us more than we can handle. When the apostles experienced the infilling of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost, they began to preach, and before they knew it, they were arrested and beaten, and, were, and this is what we're told. The apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for his name. Because they were faithful, because they were true to God's calling, they suffered. When Paul is called by Jesus, the very first thing that Jesus says is this, I will show him how much he must suffer for the name we will talk more about this in a moment, but let me tell you, for Paul, it was more than he could handle. Hebrews 11. Think about that great chapter. We call it the Hall of Faith. It, it inspires, but it's also pretty sobering. Because if you read through that list, you realize that one person after another was given more than they could handle. You look at Christians who are imprisoned and flogged and tortured and put to death by stoning, crucified, upside down. They wandered in deserts and lived in caves and faced hunger and deprivation. The Bible says the world was not worthy of them. But the phrase, God won't give you more than you can handle, well, that just doesn't really add up. It's not in the Bible. But here's the thing. Why were they willing to go through such suffering? How could they face such suffering? If you really think about it, the people God uses seems to have remarkably little concern about how much suffering they would go through as long as they had a cause worth suffering for and a Savior worth suffering with. You know, that's, that's true today. That's why you and I have, uh, to, that's what you and I have together, a, a cause worth suffering for and a savior worth suffering with. So where do we get this phrase then? God won't give you more than you can handle. Well, the truth is, I think that notion comes from a mishandling of a passage in 1 Corinthians. In, in that passage, this is what the apostle wrote, Paul, he said, no temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will always provide a way out so you can endure it. Now, I want you to think about that passage and notice its elements. Notice here, Paul does not say, well, expect minimal suffering because God won't give you more than you can bear. That's not what Paul is talking about here, is it? He says, don't let yourself rationalize and slide into sin because God will not allow the temptation to be so great that he will not also provide for you a way out of it. And you need to realize then that those are two very different things. 
Corinth, the, the city where Paul is, is, is writing to the church there in Corinth, it was a port city. If you know anything about Corinth, you know it was notoriously uh, uh, greedy and a place of sexual promiscuity. Corinth was the place where people went to pursue temptation. It was temptation island, if you will. Of course, in our day, the word temptation has largely become a joke or a tease. We, we see it uh, on, on dessert menus and, and, and part of reality TV shows. But temptation, in reality, can be a terrible thing. It will try to unravel your humanity by convincing you that you are just an appetite that has to be glorified and gratified. But by the grace of God, Paul says, God will give you a way out. You've probably heard the story of the pastor who loved donuts, man after my own heart. One day he was passing by the Krispy Kreme donut shop with a hot light sign comes on. And so he just couldn't resist. He said, Lord, if I am to stop and have a donut or two this morning, let there be a parking space open right in front of the shop. Sure enough, the seventh time he drove around the block, there was a space right there. I don't know what your temptation is this morning. Maybe it has to do with finances and being honest. Maybe it's a flirtation at the office that started out kind of innocent, but the reality is it's headed in a bad way. Maybe it's pursuing sexual intimacy outside of marriage. Maybe it's a habit that's turning into an addiction. Maybe it's refusing to be generous with your finances. I don't know what that might be, but listen, God is not mocked, and sin will corrode your soul and your character and will destroy your eternity if you let it. Paul is saying, God is faithful. He will provide for you a way out. For so many of us, we know the way out. We see it, but here's the rub. We have to decide to take it. Don't play with sin. God's grace gives you the way out. Take it. But that still leaves us the question, doesn't it? Does God give people more than they can handle? Well, I believe this morning that there's another scripture that we need to look at to really understand and appreciate this question. And it's the one we've read this morning. Paul writes, Praise be to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves received from God. Now I want you to think about this passage with me and I want you to notice right off the bat here that notice that Paul calls, calls God the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort. God is your Father he is our Father. Compassion and 
comfort are a part of his character. All compassion starts in him. It originates in him. He's the father of compassion. So right off the start, I realized that one of the problems with the phrase, God won't give you more than you can handle, is it makes God sound like the one who is handing out the suffering and the pain and the evil. Lots of people think of God that way. Sinclair Ferguson noted, since the garden, the the garden of Eden, the voice that the serpent speaks to every heart is, does the Father love you? Does the Father love me? And when we suffer, when we deal with pain, Satan uses that point to, to put that question in our minds. We think our suffering is from God. But notice here that Paul is so deliberate in describing God right here. He is not the father of evil and the God of all pain. He's the father of compassion. And the God not just of comfort, but of all comfort, all comfort comes from him, from his heart. The Father loves you. So what the Bible teaches us is that God comforts us in our suffering. But then let's notice it's even more than that. Not only does God comfort us in our suffering, but then he uses us to be able to bring comfort and and healing and hope to someone else. Now think about the implications of that. It means that the very scars and the wounds that we carry around, that most often we want to hide our addictions, our flaws, our failures, our losses, our griefs, might just become the stories we tell that can be used to build a bridge to be a part of the healing and hope and comfort to other people just like us. I noticed a few weeks ago when Dr. Miller from Malone was with us, he shared a message that I I know resonated with so many of you, not because He is a college president, an academic, or a preacher even. But he talked about his family and the hurt he faced and the regrets he knew because he had a sister who had mental and physical issues and at times he couldn't stand her. And he said he had made mistakes. And I noticed how that vulnerability spoke to so many hearts because it was real he could say I hurt but God's grace made the way and that comforted and encouraged so many of you his acknowledgement of pain became a source of comfort in so many others pain in this room Do you realize that that is the model for the church? 
when we come together, we come together to share our, our sufferings and our failures. And when that happens, there is a healing and a new kind of community formed in a way that doesn't happen when people only share their successes and triumphs. Because people think, I'm all alone. And yet when we come into this place, we should discover I'm not alone at all. Sometimes people get the impression, don't they, that the church is a bunch of people who have it all together. That's a lie. We are not a gathering of the triumphant and the successful. We ought to be a gathering of the humble and people who need help. We rejoice because we have a Savior. And we know this. We need a Savior. That is all the church has ever been. Because the truth is, and I think you know this, everyone fights a battle. You'll never meet someone that doesn't and isn't fighting a battle. They might look like they have it all together. Look at me. I mean, I understand. <laughs> I don't. And you know that. You are not alone. We're the fellowship of broken people who walk together with a limp. And Paul promises that God will be with us. And here's the big lesson then for us this morning. Listen, folks, we stand in the shadow of the cross. We live in this mystery of what Jesus did by dying, suffering on the cross. It's in the cross we glory. And if you have suffered a major hurt, some of you have. You have a major gift to offer. If you have suffered a major piece of, of, of pain, you have a major contribution to make to others, not from your strength, but from your scars, your limp, your wounds, your inadequacy. That's why God brings the church together. And for reasons I don't understand, shared pain creates a community that untroubled triumph does not. So, 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 so understand, this does not mean that your suffering is always manageable, Paul says. But what he wants us to know is it does mean that your suffering can always be meaningful. Look at how Paul describes his trouble. This is what he says. He says, we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters. This is a, uh, if you know Paul and his writings, this is kind of a pet phrase that he often uses to underscore a particular point. He says, we do not want you to be uninformed about the troubles we experience in the province of Asia. 
we were under great pressure far beyond our ability to endure so that we despaired of life itself indeed we had we felt we had received the sentence of death now as you unpack those words on a scale of one to ten how much trouble do you think paul was experiencing there he despaired of life itself it's a ten it's as bad as bad can be Paul doesn't say here, notice, that God gave me all that I could handle. Paul doesn't even say God gave me more than I could handle. Look at what Paul says. The pressure we faced were far beyond all our ability to endure. Far beyond what we can endure. More, more, more than we could handle. So Paul is in the despair zone. He wants to die. He thinks he's going to die. Some of you have been there. You can't breathe. The pressure is on. It's overwhelming. He didn't know how bad it could be. He didn't think he could possibly go on any further. But look at this. But this happened that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. I thought I was dead. I thought I wanted to die. But you know what? I trust a God who raises the dead. Now discover this. Listen, the question is not, what can I handle? The question is, what can God and I handle? So this is the truth. It is not that God won't give you more than you can handle, but that God will help you handle whatever you've been given. Don't rely on yourself you can't do it when I hear that phrase God will not give you more than you can handle I often think of course of course we get more than we can handle people die I've done two funerals this week I will do probably two more this dying is what you do when your body can't handle anymore people die every day and if you rely on yourself when it comes to death, death's probably going to win. Now, I know in our society, in our times, you know, science and technology want to figure out how to beat death. I've been doing some reading there. They think they're close to solving death. I was reading about how scientists have decided that aging is encoded into our body systems. And if it's encoded, you can crack the code. And if you can crack the code, you can hack the code. So as one doctor who uh, runs a healthcare hedge fund and has given millions of dollars toward research to this said recently, Thermodynamically, there should be no reason we can't defer entropy indefinitely. We can end aging forever. That's what he said. I know, we're this close. But for the moment, the death rate is still hovering around 100%. <laughs> right? 
And death is more than you can handle. But this is our comfort. Yes, death is more than we can handle. But listen, God raises the dead. Look at Jesus. That's why God comforts us in our trouble. He not only cares, he came to deal with the problem. And he destroys death. I received word on Friday, I got a text from Prof. Lauder, that a, actually a dear friend and very special lady to Mary and me, had a very severe seizure uh, earlier that day and was in ICU and unresponsive. I've talked about Prof. Lauder many times from this pulpit over the years, and he's been up here with us a couple of different times, but uh, he was a professor of mine at Asbury College, became a mentor, and dear friend, Sue, uh, Sue was his wife. Mary and I uh, lived in the Lauder's basement for two years, free of charge, in a nice little apartment. As we kind of got our things together, I'm in seminary, I'm preaching at uh, the church there. You know, my, my father is going to be here later this morning, and I'm so grateful for that. But second only to my dad would be Prof. Lauder in my life, who while in college, took me under his wing, invited me to join him as a pastor at that small church in southern Indiana. And if you've heard me talk about Prof, you know that I believe him to be one of the best preachers I've ever heard in my life. And it was quite humbling when I was asked to preach with him and for him in his pulpit to come alongside But one of the reasons I kept preaching and stayed with them for four years was because of Miss Sue. She had uh, heard the best preachers that the Asbury community had to offer, and there were several. I think about Prof. Lauder and Dr. Kinlaw and Victor Hamilton and David Siemens and Ray Hunley, and I could go on. But every Sunday, she would make the trip two and a half hours up to southern Indiana, whether Prof. was there or not, and she would sit there in that uh, second pew on the right, or at least my right, she'd have her notebook out listening to me preach. More and more often, she would write me a note encouraging me, saying, what a message. And boy, she'd tell me again and again, that one point really will sustain me this week. And so I like to think that uh, Prof. Lauder helped me learn to preach, but Sue gave me the courage to preach. I don't know what will happen to Miss Sue today or tomorrow, but I do know what will happen for her eternity. That gives me a great deal of comfort. Dads, can I just be real honest with you right now? Because I've done some funerals like this recently. Make sure your children know about eternity and where you will be. Let them know that you put your trust in Jesus. I was reading about Johnny Erickson Tata, and some of you know that name. Johnny's been a hero of mine for so long. She's had a remarkable ministry. If you know her, she's been a quadriplegic now for well over 50 years. 
due to a diving accident when she was a teen. She's had an amazing life of comforting others when often she had it so much worse than, than they. Well, she had breast cancer uh, to add on to her, her troubles. She had surgery. She was declared cancer-free. And then again, it showed up. But this is what she said. I don't want it to go to waste. I don't want it to be meaningless. I want it to help somebody else. The Bible talks about the world is not worthy of such people. Listen, in this place, we are supposed to share our suffering together. We weep with those who weep. We grieve with those who grieve. We rejoice with those who rejoice. We don't say to one another, well, God will never give you more than you can handle. We don't tell each other, everything happens for a reason. No. We say, me too. Me too. I hurt too. I don't know the answer to your sufferings. But I do believe there is meaning to your suffering. And that God doesn't waste our hurt. Parent who's lost a child. Someone going through cancer. People who have lost their job. People going through rejection and divorce. In a place like this, we should hear the echo again and again. Me too. Me too. Me too. And because we are a church called out by God, remember this. We gather together as a church under the shadow of the cross where we hear God, the crucified one, say to our pain, me too. Me too. Me too. This morning, what is your deepest hurt? Maybe it goes back a long time and it hurts to even think about it. Friday night I talked to a, a guy. He told me about how his father, when, he was, when, when this man was three years old, took out a gun and pointed it at him and his mother. He's never been the same since that moment. He said, until I came to Christ, I couldn't deal with that pain. Well, then Jesus. And he had such a remarkable testimony and was so winsome and willing to share what Jesus had done for him. Would, would you... Pray with me, God, here is my deepest hurt. Here is my most embarrassing flaw.
Would you use it to bring comfort to someone else and make this mean something? I want to pray with you. As we close our eyes and as we just go before our Heavenly Father, I want you to know that God is not the author of your suffering, but he is the father of all compassion. He is the God of all comfort. Maybe this morning you just need to be reminded of that. Would you just spend some time then taking that hurt before him. Name it and give it to him and say, Lord, this is more than I could endure, far beyond all that I could endure. But then could you go a step further, maybe? And say, Lord, would you give me the courage to use this pain in a way that brings relief and peace and mercy to someone else. Lord, in you there's hope and life. And it seems to me if we could only just be authentic and transparent and real about the struggles that we face, that somehow we would give you much more room in our church to do what you want to do. Help us to take off the masks. Help us to be real. Help us to be able to say to our neighbor, me too. And thank you, Lord, that you loved us so much. You didn't leave us in our pain. You didn't turn your back. But through Jesus Christ, you came to this earth. And you took all the pain and the suffering, all the evil of sin onto yourself. And you died. And then, God, you raised the dead. Some of us are feeling dead this morning. Someone in this room right now just feels lifeless inside. They, they, they don't feel much at all. The pain is too much to bear. God, would you break through? Would you become real to them and let them know that you are a father who cares and that you raised the dead? life. Would you do it this morning right here in this place? We trust you even with our pain. I pray this in your holy and precious name. Amen.